0: Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Good Chodesh, good Chodesh, Rabotai. Welcome to Chodesh Adar. Um, breakfast in the Class today is dedicated in loving memory of Melvin Akiva, Allah by the Ajmi family, and dedicated in celebration uh, of the engagement of Shoshi Farhi to Natal Amanov, Bissim Mazatovma Mazatov, Mabruk to them and their parents, Rabbi Shlomo and Hanafari and Israel and Dorit Aminov. Uh, breakfast in the class dedicated in loving memory of Luna Abraham and and Hanukkah Virifka, ala and his story of Askara, sponsored by his granddaughter, Caroline Hajibe, and dedicated in celebration of Gavin Ismail's Ben Yosef birthday from his parents and his brother, Rosie, Joseph, and Jesse. Sponsored by Shai Mahani, dedicated in loving memory of Sammy's father, Mara Sutton, shalom, l'u nishmat Moshe ben Adel. As well, rinat Mardcha, alea shalom, l'u rinat bat hana v'dan, by her husband Joseph and children Laura, Daniel, and Benjamin. In loving memory of Victor Azrak, Lunishman Yeshua Ben Reina, sponsored by his son Marvin Azrak, and sponsored by Joe Shabbat, dedicated loving memory of Morris Sutton, Lunishman Moshe Ben Adel, again, Hazaku Baruch. Dedicated loving memory of Lunishman Yeshua Ariel Ben Jonathan sponsored by his friends Naomi, Edward, Avi, and Liam, and dedicated uh, as well. <laughs> in celebration of the engagement of our daughter, Shoshana Farhi to Nathaniel Aminov, um, from her parents, Shlomo and Khanna Farhi, and his parents, Israel and Dorit Amonov. As well, sponsored by Daphna and Jake Mancher, dedicated loving memory of Lunishmat of Ben Manasha and Sultanat, Le'a Shalom. And sponsored by Emmanuel Zara, in loving memory of Sammy's father, Morris' son, Lunishmat Moshe Ben Adel. Look how many people love you, Sammy, and respect your father. Uh, dedicated in loving memory of David Ben Naima, sponsored by the Aaron family. And sponsored by Edward Sofer in loving memory of his parents, Ray and David Sofer, Lunishmatam, David Ben Naima, and Zimcha bat Chana, Shalom. And last but not least, by the Rosh Chodesh King who sponsors Rosh Chodesh months and months and months in advance uh, by Yaakov Shirazi on the occasion of Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph for success in everything. Please uh, take, accept my forgiveness for the length of that, uh, of that uh, um, sponsorship run and if you skip all the sponsorships that only began here uh, well then you're cheating the system. Okay, let's get ready to rumble. The Gemara tells us that the month of Adar is a month of pure joy. Mishiniknas Adar in the name of Rav, it says in the name of Rav, that you are when Adar, Adar comes in, you enjoy tremendous Simcha. By the way, fantastic, we have two months of Simcha this year. Adar Aleph, uh, Adar Bet. We don't often get Adar Aleph, it only comes out in a leap year. I should know that, I'm an Adar Aleph baby. Kafchet Adar Aleph is my birthday. I'm really only 19, uh, which is why I look so young for my age, if I may compliment myself. Uh, because no one else will. Okay, so there's an unbelievable power to the month of Adar. And if you look in the Gemara, the way I just quoted the Gemara is incorrect. How does the Gemara tell us this idea that when Adar comes in, we, uh, we, we increase our joy? How does the Gemara tell it? Anyone know? It first starts with ah, how Adar is a time of increasing. Booyah, the girls in the house. Quoting the Talmud. Drop it like it's hot. Fantastic. <laughs> the Gemara says, when Av comes in, we make our Simcha less. And then the Gemara says, Ukeshem. so in the same way that when Av comes in, you minimize your Simcha, so too, when Adar comes in, you maximize your Simcha. Now the question is, in what world are those two things related? Could you imagine telling someone, look, Tonight is the night of your wedding. I come to you, right? Tonight is the night of your wedding, okay? I just want you to think, when you go down the aisle, I want you to think of one thing. Remember how sad you were when you lost your job? Remember how sad you were when you had to get that operation on your leg? Remember how sad you were when you went into Galut? Remember all of that? Okay, so tonight is not like that. Tonight is the opposite of that. So whatever the opposite of that was, that's what tonight is. You just brought me down. You know, Joy is not joy in and of the fact that it is not sadness. So what is Rav teaching us when he says, It's almost as if what Rav is telling us is not possible to understand independent of the understanding of the minimization of Simcha, which I thought was fascinating. And I learned something really interesting from uh, the words of the Ben The Ben Chai Zatzal teaches in Ben Yohoyada, he points out something unbelievable. He says if you take the month of Adar, which is the month of Simcha, the word Adar, the uh, word for the month, Adar, is Aleph, 1, Dalid 4, Resh, 200, is exactly 205. If you remove Av from Adar, Av is Aleph and Bet, 3, you're left with 202 which is exactly the numerical value of the word Rav, which means to increase. So the process of Simcha, of Adar, happens, it is Marbim B'Simcha. Not only that, he continues and explains something even more powerful. He says that in uh, Av, the reason why we mourn during the month of Av, is because as we know, the Mishnah tells us that there were five tragedies that happened in the month of Av. And therefore, the letters of the word Simcha are exactly the same letters as the word chamisha. So those five things cause a decrease in our happiness in the month of Av. And therefore, in Adar, there are five things that cause us to increase our happiness. And he shares with us, the month of Adar has four gezerot, because it was decreed upon them the annihilation of men, women, boy, men, women, boys, and girls, and ushlalam lavos, and all the spoils to be taken as well in war. So, on the one hand, you have five elements of destruction in the month of Av, which are mimmaet, and on the other hand, you have five elements in the month of Adar which cause a ribui of simcha, a ribui of those chamisha of those uh, of those to, in celebration of those five miracles. Now. I still don't understand what exactly is the correlation between these two things. I get that there's five and that there's five. I understand that. I get that you remove Av from Adar and then you're left with Rav, you're left with this concept of a lot. But is this just fancy word games and number games? I want to draw, I think, an interesting line of thought for us together today in the understanding of this concept. In, Adar, in Av, excuse me, it does not say that a person is not happy. What does it say? in Adar it does not say that a person is happy it says that a person increases now a simple understanding would reveal in this Gemara that what we're learning here is that Simcha there is always Simcha in a person's life including in the month of Av because the only thing we have in Av is a Mi'ut of Simcha but an obliteration an absence of Simcha no why? Why would we, on this month of mourning, not just completely remove Simcha? And the answer is, because a person cannot experience life. A person cannot be an evid, a servant of God. They cannot be a productive member of society if there is no Simcha. Even though you may have very good reason to minimize Simcha, the Torah says be very careful with turning Simcha off. A person with no joy is a person with no life. Therefore, the Torah tells us even when a person is experiencing the ultimate uh, avelut, the ultimate loss that a person can have in this world, the death of someone who's really close to them, a parent, a child, a brother, a sister, the halakha, the Torah tells us the halakha is that you're not allowed to tear your flesh. You're not allowed to pull out your hair. Why? Because an excess of mourning is inappropriate. You're going to a place, to a stage where it's as if you're saying that a person is gone forever, there is no world to come, there is no judge, there is no, there is no laws, there is no reason, there is no plan, and therefore the morning is complete. But I think there's an added element to that idea in the Torah. The Torah is telling us, careful how far you go, because it is possible to blow out your own candle. And if you're in that stage, there's no coming back. A person with no joy is capable of doing anything, is capable of ending it all. My friends, so let's take a look at this concept of joy, at the idea of Simcha. On the simple level, we've now kind of established one level up, there's always joy. Even in ada in Av, there's joy. There's just a mi'ut of it, okay? However, when it comes to Adar, we dial it up. So it sounds like Mematim and Marbim are both concepts. Um, that are about a quantification of quantity. How much joy. But I think that there's something else here as well. And a dear friend of mine, Rabbi Zev Glass, who's doing some great work out now in South Africa. We were together for many years in London. This was maybe one of his favorite things to say. He used to say all the time that marbim b'simcha doesn't mean you have a lot of joy. He says marbim, a person gets bigger b'simcha. a person gets smaller be the opposite of Simcha, when a person's in the month of Av. And let me explain where we find a source for this idea that my rabbi friend used to say all the time. The Gemara in Gitin tells us about a certain general who was laying siege to Eretz Israel. And at the time, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, in a dramatic story, makes his way out to the, to the then general Aspasianus Kesar. And he tells him, otherwise known as Vespasian. He says to Vespasian, he says, Shalom Alech Malka, welcome king. And the king says to him, what are you talking about? I'm not the king now. Uh, I should put you to death on two counts. Either if I am the king, you should have come out earlier. Or if I'm not the king, then you are, what you're saying is treason. Reochanan tells him, Reochanan ben Zakai tells him, no, no, the king died and, and now you're the king. So I'm coming now to tell you uh, Shalom Alech Malka. And I tried to come out earlier, but the city was locked. I had to fake my way. I had to fake my own death, literally, in order to get here. Okay? as." Uh, he's standing there. The royal sandal putter on her, because there's not a better word for it, the royal sandal putter on her is, has put on one shoe, but he hasn't put on the other one. Okay? I'm assuming that the first shoe he put on was a left shoe, because Vespasian was just a guy. Either way, he puts on the left shoe first, and he gets to the right foot, and he tries to put the sandal on, and the sandal does not go on his foot. He doesn't understand. These are the same sandals he wears every day. What in the world is going on? Okay? Anyway, he can't figure it out. Yochanan. Uh, ben Zakai tells him, "Simple, simples," he says. "Simples," he says. The reason why your left one went on, your right one did not go on, is because, like he quotes the pasuk in Mishlei, toba garem." A good, good hearing. Someone hears something good, dashen garem. It expands the bones. Okay. A uh, and therefore you heard good news just now. So your shoe that was already on, you're in, right? but the other shoe now won't go on. So he says, well, what should I do? So he tells him, have someone that you hate walk in front of you, and as soon as the guy you hate walks in front of you, no problem, you'll be fine. So since Vespasian was a giant fan, they had Tom Brady come, he's that old, he walked <laughs> past them, he hated the eye guy, and he looked at the guy, and in that moment, his other shoe was able to go on to his foot. A long story for a short point. What we see in that pasuk is, Shumu'ah tovah dashen garim makes the bones expand. This is not some sort of concept on a physical level uh, exclusively that the person expands in their bones when they hear good news, but rather that good news, or to be said more succinctly, joy is expansive. Criticism, sadness is restrictive. When a person is very sad, they turn in on themselves. You can see that someone's worried or upset. Their shoulders come in. In extreme cases of trauma or of sadness, a person might even be encouraged to go into the fetal position, right? People who are experiencing severe trauma, a lot of times they literally, they curl up in a ball. Part of the reason for that is that on on the the deepest level of their psyche, they're trying to do a do-over. They're trying to go back to the, the, the moment where they were most taken care of when they were a baby, where they had no worries, where they had no fears, where their, their food and their shelter, everything belonged, everything was in the hands of someone else. So when I feel helpless, I try and go back to the place in my life where I was at my most helpless and someone was taking care of me. The fetal position is how uh, you were in the womb, where everything was taken care of for you. So the nature of sadness is restricted, is restriction. That's what the Gemara's hinting to us when it says, we restrict, we become smaller, we turn inward. We don't have it within us when we're cynical to offer light or compliments or help to someone else. I can barely take care of myself. I'm going to take care of the other guy. So we restrict, we turn inward. And we turn inward, we can't see anybody else. When it comes to Adar, the exact opposite happens. Marbim, We become larger. So what happens when the person expands their stance? Their chest comes out, their shoulders are squared, they look confident. Immediately it looks like, in fact, that's what they tell you to do when you're faced with a wild animal. You literally, you make yourself big, also when you're in the paint trying to get a rebound. But either way, when you open yourself up like that, it illustrates the person at their most powerful. And when are we at our most powerful? And when are we at our most joyful? When we're fulfilling the mitzvot of the month of Adar, where the, month, the mitzvot of the month of Adar incorporate the concept of having a seuda with your friends, mishloach manot matanot leevyonim, the joy of a Jew is wrapped around the mitzvot of giving to one another. Why? Because the mitzvot are not only about what you do; they are about what you become. And when you are acting in that outward manner and when you are giving outward, what happens is, ironically, that situation creates a sense of joy, of fulfillment. Because I must be okay if I can help somebody else. It's interesting to me as well that the process of giving is one that goes outward. And the process of taking is also one that goes inward. Isn't that fascinating? So again, you're seeing this idea of of restriction. So what is the Mishnah telling you? And this is so beautiful. The Mishnah therefore, the Gemara therefore tells you, in Ta'anit al khaftet the Gemara says, you want to know how to give? What does a person do who doesn't know how to be happy? What does a person do who's not in a happy mood? What does a person do? How should they accomplish joy? How do they spark that joy in themselves when they're just not feeling it? What do they do? Sadness and depression are not something that a person works on. Those are things that come naturally. You have to fight them off, actually. Okay? Joy is an avodah. There's work to it. To, not just to become joy in tiny moments, but to actually maintain joy. And this year for two full months. Okay? The answer, my friends, Rav is teaching us something amazing. Actually, it's a mistake. Many people think that their natural state is a state of sadness, of cynicism, of self-centeredness. But what Rav teaches is that in the same way as you can do that naturally in Av, without working on it, in the life of a Jew, Simcha is also something that needs to become natural. Again, I can't stress this point enough. It needs to to become something that is natural many years ago maybe two right in the in the uh, in the recordings we covered this topic we talked about the mishnechnas adan marbim simcha the word simcha as the ben ishkai pointed out also references chamisha. five elements five elements of sad things take away our simcha five elements of joy add to our simcha but it's not just occasions If you think about it a little bit deeper you realize that there is another set of five and that is the five senses. Our joy or our sadness is brought into our life through the sensory experience of a person's life. And if we have five, so to speak, sad senses, then we have a sad experience. And if we have five happy experiences, then we have a glad experience. Think about the idea that when we smell Bessamim, what we're doing is triggering one of the senses to have had a positive experience. When you have a candle a Motzei Shabbat, as you go into the darkness of the beginning of a new week, you have that light, the person's eyes are sensing, experiencing light and associating light with the coming week. So when a person is down in the dumps, what they can realize, says Rav, is that there is a natural pathway and a natural order to restoring joy. And that is to achieve joy on each of the sensory levels that a person has in their life. What does natural joy look like? I'm gonna leave you a little bit with this question. I'll give you the the breadcrumbs that will take you there. What does natural joy look like? If Rav is telling us that they're similar and we're communicating this idea, what does it look like to have a natural joy? The answer is, my friends, is to strip away every possible thing from yourself other than those five senses. And I I need to say this so, so clearly. If you are experiencing the world through here, through your brain, or through your emotions, it is possible for your brains or emotions to taint your picture of the actual world you live in. But your senses are your actual experience, not tainted by the way that you're thinking or by the way that you're feeling. You might be feeling bad and someone asks you, why are you feeling bad? Ever happened to you like, I don't know, I'm just in a bad mood today. What? You've allowed an emotion to color your actual sensory intake of your day. Same with the brain. A person could have anxieties, they could be worried about tomorrow or next week or next year or another variant, right? End of the day, right here, right now, you just had a delicious toasted bagel in the sometimes fiery toaster oven of the Edmund J. Safra synagogue. You had a fantastic coffee with sugar instead of sweetener today, so you appreciated the taste of sugar even though it's not something which is healthy for me, so I don't usually have, but today, I'm experiencing it, Tasted on my tongue. I felt the hot coffee go down my throat, my sore throat. It gave you that temporary sense of relief. Notice it, appreciate it. If you're thinking about the fact that I've got this to do or that to do, I'm busy, I have the office, you're not here. You're not here. You're minimizing your experiences in this world. You're b'simcha, <laughs> God created this world as a sensory world, not by accident. And he did not have to do so. He could have created this world in black and white. He could have created this world in the way that many of us had during Corona where there was no taste and no smell. If the purpose of this world is just morals and ethics, if that is its purpose for you to shine in your Asiyat mitzvot, you do not need to be able to smell the roses or the coffee or the Cinnabon that's kosher. You don't need to be able to do that in order to be an Eved Hashem. So God, in His kindness, allowed us to have these wonderful experiences in our world to be able to turn them into things of holiness. To make a berakhah on what you eat, on what you see, on what you smell. Isn't that fascinating? All of these senses have brachot associated with them on what you hear. The only thing I was wondering is what berakhah do you have on what you touch? On hearing you make a berakhah on... Thunder, on the shofar, on sight you make a berachah, on many things that you see, on the ocean, on many Jews in the same place, on a kever on going to a cemetery, on a shoran on, on, on a keshet, lots of berachot that have to do with the sight. On smell, on uh, what's it called? On taste, you have all the food. The halacha is, Rabotai, that every berachah that a person makes, they need to hold in their hand. In fact, Hamavadia says, that when a person is making a berachah, and they're wearing gloves they should take their gloves off to hold the object they're making a on. Did you know that? Therefore, we find an association as well with the sense of touch. I remember once meeting a fellow who was, uh, unfortunately, he was unable to see, he was blind. And not only was he blind, uh, he, was, uh, he was someone who walked uh, with, a, with a cane, so he couldn't walk properly. Um, it was very, very difficult for him to, to live his life. He had some other health issues uh, with, he had a problem with his, with his heart. I think it was in general some sort of birth defect that caused like a little bit of a knock-on effect with him. So uh, I asked him once, I don't understand. You have all these things counting against you. You're blind, you can't walk properly, you have issues with your heart. You know, uh, it's very difficult you know, uh, experience of life, but I never, I never see you without a smile. I don't, you're always happy. How are you always happy when you have all these things holding you back? And he just smiled. And he said the most profound thing in the world. He said, what do you want me to be, Rabbi? Blind, a heart difficulty, lame, and sad? Yeah, I I was like, wow, what a, beautifully said. He's like, I have all these things. You want me to be all these things and said, you know? So imagine, think of that for a minute. You're going through something, you have a lot of different things. You you want all those things and also you want to be, be that and at least happy, right? A dear friend of mine just once gave me a mashal only a short while ago. He said, sometimes a pilot is flying in a plane And as he's flying in the plane, all of a sudden, because of the forces, the G-forces or whatever as they're flying, they can experience a certain form of vertigo where all of a sudden the pilot can't tell the difference between up and down. They don't know which way they're flying. And it can become very dangerous because the pilot is pulling up into the sky thinking he's elevating the plane. But actually what he's doing is driving the plane into the ground. And it's a very dangerous time uh, at that moment uh, if he does not correct his direction. So what do they tell the pilot to do? They tell the pilot in that moment, don't trust your feelings. Don't listen to your thoughts. Look at the instruments. See what the instruments are telling you. In fact, in planes, they have not only one gyroscope telling you which way is up, but two. And part of the reason is because the person sits and looks at his gyroscope and he thinks to himself, Shema Israel. I think this is up and it's telling me that this is up. It's for sure broken. I trust my head. I trust my thoughts. I trust my emotions. So they stuck in a second gyroscope, so if the first one's broken, he can look at the second one. If they're both telling him this way is up, then he knows he can trust the instruments. They only put in two, but God put in five. Trust the instruments. So my friends, what we're we're looking at here is the blessings of our senses. Feeling something and feeling joy in its texture, tasting something, noticing, having our eyes wide open. When a person is in that state of mind, then they are capable of noticing, of sensing, of experiencing things, even in a moment of great sadness, which still allows them to find uh, a path to natural joy. And that, my friends, is the work of the month of Adar, Mishiniknas Adar, Ma'abim M'simcha, but don't let it be the fact that you're driving around in a limousine, hanging out the sunroof with a bottle of champagne. Woo! That's not what Ma'abim M'simcha means, okay? Ma'abim um, M'simcha means when a person is transporting themselves from a state of sadness and constriction to a sense of expansion, and joy, by giving to one another, by noticing all these b'achot you have in your life. Baruch Adonai Amen